like you to open your Bibles, if you would, or to look to the screen. We're still saying that by habit, but look to the screen, Psalms 24 and 7, and we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 8. And uh, Lord, help us today, Jesus, help us. Psalms 24, 7 says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lift up ye everlasting doors. The King of Glory shall come in. Now, if I recall, it didn't dawn on me till just now, this instant, that Jesus said, "When you see all these things begin to come to pass, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Lift up your heads, and it speaks of gates." doors. Proverbs 8 verse 1 doth not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice. She standeth in the top of high places by the way in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates at the entry of the city at the coming in at the doors. With the help of God Today, we want to preach to you about doors of destiny. Doors. Ah. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Every day in our lives, in fact, if I bring it even closer to home, even this morning, but it happens every day, we pass through a seemingly endless uh, stream of doors, doorways. <clears throat> Most cases, we don't even think about it because we do it every day. You walk from the bedroom through a door to get to the hallway that leads to the bathroom. You go in another door. You come out of that door and you go right or left or straight, whatever. You walk through another entryway. There might be a door on it, but you go into the kitchen we go through doors all day long. You pass through a series of doors in order to get here this morning, and then you had to walk through another door to enter into the sanctuary. <clears throat> now, as you know, all doors are not equal in importance. Uh, some doors are more important than others. Uh, for example, the front door of your house is more significant and important than closet door, uh, unless you're really weird, doesn't have a lock on it. You don't lock closet doors unless you store gold and precious metal and a bunch of stuff in there that you don't want anybody to get to. But the thing about it is when a, when a thief breaks in your house and sees a door with a lock on it, that's the very door that he's going to break into because he knows there's something valuable behind it. Doors are different in importance. The uh, refrigerator door uh, is an important door. We have a, a thing on our RV that the door keeps coming off of the refrigerator when we travel. Uh, one time it came off, and, and, and I don't even have time to tell you the mess, the eggs and everything. It was, it was unbelievable. Uh, it actually came off this last time after we've done everything possible that you can think of to keep that door from coming off. Now, 
if it comes off, it's a God thing because I have it strapped. Two straps around this. I'm serious. I'm going to fix this thing, bless God. I got things screwed to the side and straps. Now the whole refrigerator will probably fall apart or something. Doors are, now I can get it open. It's just not going to open when I don't want it to open. So doors are important. Would you agree with that? The Hebrew word for door, I know you won't remember this, but it's peta. And it is a masculine noun referring to an opening, to an entrance, a door or a doorway. It refers to an unobstructed area providing entrance into an enclosure, into a tent, <clears throat> into a city, a house, a building, or I will add to the heart or to the mind. Heard about that a while ago. And it's often used in reference to the entrance to a sacred tent, such as the holiest of holies, or to the tabernacle or the temple itself. But what are doors for? Well, doors are for privacy. Doors are for protection. They are for preservation, and they are also for separation. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, But thou... When thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Of course, it's not referring to a literal closet, but he exhorted us to pray inside of an enclosure or a room of some sort where there was a door that could be closed to ensure privacy and non-disclosure except between you and God. You need to be able to tell God anything you want to without somebody else listening in on the conversation. And so Jesus said the way to ensure that is to go into the closet or room and shut the door. So doors are what? Doors are access points. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, actually seven access points to this particular sanctuary, to this particular room. Some of these doors are marked exit. In case you feel the need to make a quick exit, you know where to go because they are marked exit. If you go through that door, you're going to run into a wall. If you go through that door, it will lead right outside the building. By the time I get done, there may be a line at that door trying to get out. I hope not, but you never know. So the access points into or out of uh, an area that is delineated by walls or sometimes bars or uh, some other means. Genesis 18, and once says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, this is Abraham, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, if you really go into the word of the Lord and you begin to study doors and access points and gates, you'll find they're very significant. And what we're going to present to you today is just a drop in the bucket of what is actually in the word of God. So God often met Moses and Aaron where? At the door of the tabernacle. You read it over and over again. Real, real important stuff. God met with them at the door of the tabernacle. And so business deals, legal transaction, contracts, and, and such were negotiated at the gates of cities because there it was witnessed by others that were present at the gate. 
it was a very significant place as far as business within a city. Proverbs 14 and 19 says the evil bow before the good and the wicked, where? At the gates of the righteous. That's why we have a gate ministry. We have people that pray at their gate every morning. They're assigned the gates of our city. And they pray at these gates. Why? Because the evil bow before the good. Where? At the gate. Every morning, amen, I pray at gate number eight. Devil, when you get to this gate, I'm going to be there waiting for you and telling you you're not coming into our city. Now, why would you do that? Because we got enough devils in this city. We don't need any more. And of all other kinds of things that we will not allow to come into our city because of the gate. So, Peta also refers to the opening of a cave. Uh, refers to the guarding, the opening of one's mouth. I'll just let that sink in for just a moment. When God refused Cain's offering, what did he tell this man? He said, if thou doest not well, Cain, it's because sin is in the kitchen. If thou, if, if thou doest not well, Cain, it's because sin is in the bathroom. Sin lieth at the door. That's where sin is found. Why? Because sin knows that you will pass through that door multiple times a day. He knows where to find you. And so the spiritual significance of doors is well documented uh, and it's well demonstrated in very candid fashion in Israel as they prepared to depart from Egypt. Does anybody here ever go on a trip without packing? If you're going to prepare to leave this world, you need to do some packing. If you're going to come out of sin, you've got to prepare for that. So Exodus chapter 12 Verse 22 and 23, you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. Now, I want you to get the picture of it. The, the lamb was killed, the Passover lamb in each family. And hyssop was a bunch of plant, dry plant, and, they would take, and it was strike the doorpost. Now, I've always said if, if, if uh, I was supposed to put blood on my doorpost, I would get a little artist brush and dip it in it because we don't want to make much of a mess here. <laughs> little artist brush, get a little blood, put it on the other doorpost. And certainly we don't want dripping on it, so we'll get it, you know, okay. Drop cloth, yeah. Strike the doorpost. Yeah. Strike the other doorpost. Strike the lintel, which is up here. I, there's no way you can do that without making a mess. For the Lord, and this is why, will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, pass over what? The door. The door. He didn't say he's going to pass over the house. The doors where the blood is applied. When he sees the blood, he will pass over the door. And it further says, will not suffer 
the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. It's interesting to me that of, of all the many things or places that could be found in the dwelling that was important, the Lord said, put the blood on the door. Just stay with me. We're building a case for this. The door in this case is the opening that leads into and out of the house. It is a passageway, if you please, and there the blood must be applied. If you, if you are contemplating being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you can go somewhere where they will sprinkle you a little water on you. Your hair won't get wet. It won't mess up nothing. You can wear your clothes. You can walk out of church after being sprinkled, and they won't even know that anybody will know you were baptized. That's because you weren't, by the way. But if baptism is really important, I want to go down. I want to do it like they did in the Bible. I'm going to go down in the water. I'm going to get all wet. I want to cover me. And I want to do it in the name of Jesus. Because if he's looking for the blood, I want to make sure he sees the blood when it's applied. So strike the length of the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. Now why is this so important? Because he said, I'm looking for the blood. Now all you rapture folks, you think the rapture's going to place. What's he looking for? He's looking for the blood. Now, we could preach a whole message on that, but that would get us completely sidetracked. But there's a certain relevance to this in that if we have the blood applied, we don't have to worry about the destroyer coming into our homes and destroying our children and destroying families' lives, breaking up marriages. The blood has got to be applied to everything as they pass into the house. You might want to go home and anoint the front door. You might want to just go anoint your front door so that anybody that passes through the door passes through the anointing. I'm not making this stuff up. The door is really important. And so we preach the same message the apostles preached word for word. We don't change it the way the NIV changes it. We don't change it the way the American Standard Bible changes it. We don't change it the way any of the other versions of the Bible change. It comes right from the King James Version. What must we do, Peter? He said you must repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The blood is applied when you repent. The blood is applied when you're baptized. Two side posts, right? And where does the Holy Ghost come from? The blood is applied when you receive the Holy Ghost, just like the typology says in the Bible. So you can skip any of these things if you want. You can skip part of it. You can skip all of it. It's your choice. God gives us that choice. But you see, he said, the blood shall, or the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. And he said, the reason it won't be on you to is because of the blood, the blood. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Further significance to doors can be seen in a literal application found in the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter uh, 5, 
the high priest was filled with indignation and uh, they laid their hands on the apostles. This was the sect of the Sadducees and they put them in the common prison. The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. He didn't tear down a wall. He didn't tear the ceiling apart. He opened the doors of the prison. Doors are significant. Shortly after this, uh, uh, the Bible says King Herod stretched forth his hands to vex the church, and this is when he had James killed. He had James killed, and uh, James was killed with a sword, and because it pleased the Jews, he went on and proceeded to arrest Peter. Peter, of course, was he was the leader, and he was a very significant person uh, in what they considered to be insurrection uh, in Jerusalem and in Israel. And so they arrest Peter, and uh, Herod has him put in prison, and he is shackled and chained to a wall, and he's, he's being guarded by four quaternions of soldiers. I, I believe that 16 different soldiers were guarding him and uh, because they wanted to make sure that he stayed uh, in prison. But the Bible says that the church did not accept that, and so they began to pray. In fact, the Bible says that prayer without ceasing, without ceasing, by the church went up to God for him. Now, I don't know how many days this was. We kind of assumed this all happened in one day, but we really don't know the timeline. But Peter's in prison. All the doors are closed. He's shackled between 16 soldiers that are guarding him under threat of their own life if something happens to Peter. And the church begins to pray. Now, I would say that's an impossible situation. This is impossible. And yet the church prayed. There's no way he's getting out of this, and yet the church prayed. There's no plan. There's no army. There's no authority. And yet the church prayed, but not only that, they didn't say, well, Lord, deliver Peter. Now, let's see. Lord, we really love the man. He's, he's a good preacher. He's been around for a while. He walked with Jesus, and we really care for him. So, Lord, deliver him. Now, let's go play softball or no, they prayed without ceasing. Day one, Peter's still in prison. We're going to keep praying. Day two, Peter's still in prison. We're going to keep praying. But it's impossible. It's just impossible today as it was yesterday, but we're going to keep praying. We're going to pray until God answers our prayer and delivers the man of God from his fate. They prayed without ceasing. What did God do? He sends an angel. What did the angel do? He wakes Peter up. That's how, that's how worried Peter was. He was asleep. He's on death row. Peter's asleep. Can't go nowhere. Might as well take a nap. So he's asleep. The angel wakes him up. Says, hey, dude. I know he didn't say that, but hey, Peter, follow me. In other words, I'm here to do something, but you got to do something too. You got to get up. You got to wake up. I'm not going to carry you out with a band of angels. You're going to get out of here. You're going to have to get up. So here it is, Acts 12 and 10. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came under the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. I mean, the angel took care of that before Peter ever got to the gate. And they went out, the 
doorway, right? And passed on through one street and forth with the angel departed from him. Praise God. Didn't the Lord meet with us in a, in a mighty way Friday night? Man, I, I will have the memory of that for a long time. But I have to take care of some business concerning Friday night. Uh, we need to buy Brother Richard a new Bible. Because Brother Richard is reading the AARP version of the Bible that refers to the elderly, not the elders. It's just dawning on him. It's just dawning on him. When you say elderly, I automatically look for the cane in a, in a rocking chair. I'm serious, but when you say elder, there's, a, there's something different about an elder. We're not old, we're seasoned. Some of you are over-seasoned, but we'll, we'll deal with that another time. So unce unceasing prayer will do what? By this example. It will open doors. We can't go forward while doors are closed. We can't get out of one thing and into something else while these doors are locked and closed. We can't move into the to a deeper and greater dimensions of the spirit unless those doors are unlocked and those doors are open. So prayer will open doors. Ironically, Peter, when he reached the house where God's people were engaged in prayer, he walked through gates and doors that were locked in the prison that the angel opened, but when he got to the prayer meeting, he couldn't get in. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? See, the church is full of little cliques and groups that only certain people are invited into. You think I'm kidding you? The angel said, I'm going to get you out of prison, but when it comes to that, Peter, you are on your, even the angel wouldn't deal with that. <laughs> so simple, it makes sense, doesn't it? So he was able to get out of a prison, but he couldn't get into a prayer meeting. I want that to sink in now. So it appears, at least to me, in, in my small thinking, that some doors are more difficult to open than others. And while you are thinking of those words, I want you to understand something, that we are not the arbiters or the gatekeepers of ministries or of spiritual gifts or of the callings of God. We do not Guard that gate. God let him open those doors and bring whomsoever he will into active, powerful, anointed, and appointed ministries. And I, I fear for the person that tries to stand in the way of somebody, that keeps the door closed to somebody that God wants to use. Doors have been important since it's first mentioned in the book of Genesis, and it serves both literal and metaphorical significance, and uh, perhaps this will apply to a range of, of people who are in this room. But one of the most poetic uses of a metaphorical door is in the Song of Solomon, 
or Song of Songs is what my Bible says, the Song of Solomon, or the Canticles, it's also referred to, uh, chapter 5, verses 2 through 6. And it says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with drops of night. But she says, in verse 3, I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? More importantly, she says, I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? And so in this lyrical expression between two lovers, the woman was wakened out of her slumber by the voice of her paramour knocking on her door and seductively imploring, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. My head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. Her response is quite practical. I mean, she says, look, I've already put my, my night clothes on, and in olden times, they didn't have floors like we did, so they would have a, 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 some water next to the bed. Last thing they would do before they would pull their feet up in the bed is wash their feet. Very practical, you know. I'm already dressed for bed, and I've already washed my feet, and that is a real problem for me. But then something happened. Something changed. Something altered her perspective and, and uh, what she was willing or not willing to do. It changed everything. Verse 4, it says, My beloved put his, in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. Now, I looked that up. There's some of that stuff I looked up I can't read here. Yeah, you get the, you get the picture, right? She said, when I, when I saw his hand by the hole of the door, everything changed. Everything moved within me for him. And so as she observed the door, the door that concealed her lover, from behind that door came his muffled yet very discernible voice. She caught a glimpse of his hand as it passes by a hole, perhaps a keyhole, but a hole in the door. And everything else up to that point, she was able to handle. But when she saw his hand brushed by the hole of the door, everything moved within her. She would have, she would have crossed an ocean right then to reach that door and open to her lover, to her paramour. Perhaps it was only a fleeting shadow, but it was in an instant that she longed for him so much. Perhaps more than she ever had before, and now she's willing to do anything, anything that she has to do to feel his touch and to gaze into his eyes and to be in his presence. So verse 5 says, I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh. And my fingers were sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved hath withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, 
but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. I perceive that all of us will undoubtedly stand before many doors in our lifetime. Some of those doors will be providential, and some will not be, knowing the difference. Knowing the difference is very important. Most doors that we will pass through or stand before will prove inconsequential in the overall scheme of things, but God will place doors in our path, and these will be doors of destiny. These will be doors that are important. We will be drawn to these doors. There will be something about the door that attracts us, that, will, that draws our attention to it. It may be the voice of the Lord. It, it, it may be a word from him. It may be a, a, a fleeting glimpse of him. But something will draw us to these providential doors of destiny. And when you come to one of those doors, you must not hesitate. You must not be too slow. I believe there's, there's context to the word of God that is telling us a message. If you come to one of those doors, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Uh, cast caution to the wind. Do whatever you've got to do immediately as quickly as you possibly can. Open that door because God has something waiting for you on the other side. The following is found in the letter to the Laodiceans, and it also gives us a very strong message. Revelation 3.20, where he says uh, in the letter to the Laodiceans, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, or if any man hear my voice and open the door, you can just hear the voice, go, hey, it's got the head. That's the Lord behind that door. You've got to open the door. I will come in to him. And will suffer with him and he with me. So it makes me wonder, just me now, how long was Jesus standing outside the door of the church knocking on the door? Everybody else was welcome, could come in, but Jesus is standing outside of the church door. Knocking on the door because he did not feel welcome among his own people. How long he had been knocking on the doors of that apostolic church, I, I do not know. But what I do know, nobody acknowledged him and nobody was willing to open the door and let him in. Makes me wonder if anybody even knew he was there. I don't know which is worse, knowing he's there, not opening the door, or not even knowing he's there. Walking past him on the way in and not even realizing that he greeted you when you walked into the doors of the house of God. I think one of the worst things about this is that they were unaware of this until the letter from John was read to the church. You want to talk about a word, brother. You want to talk about a powerful word, brother. 
They went through song service and through worship service, hooping and hollering, the shout, all that stuff. And then we got a letter from John. He's, he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Hey, let's read the letter from John. It's surely going to be a, a letter of encouragement to us. Can you imagine the look on their faces when this was read in the house of God in the church of Laodicea when it was read, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You talk about an altar call. They tried to defend themselves. You don't understand. We're blessed. We've got houses and we're driving Teslas and and uh, we got property and we got money and my gosh, we're going on cruises and and we're we are really blessed. God has really blessed us. He said in exact words, I am rich. And I'm increased with goods. Now, I didn't get increased with goods without the blessing of God upon my life to the point that I don't need anything. That was their defense. They may have had the nicest church building in town. They lived in the nicest houses in town. Look, look, God has blessed us. Yeah, yeah, he has. But he's still standing outside the church door knocking because you won't let him in. All the time I was preparing this, and now when I'm preaching, I kept he hearing that old country song, I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. Ernest Tubb or one of them old country singers. <laughs> anyway, it, I know that wasn't of the Lord. I told you to stay over there until I was done with you. <laughs> so anyway. They tried to negotiate their way out of it, and please, I, just for a moment, let me be very candid with you. We need to stop negotiating with God at the altar and start repenting at the altar because that's what they tried to do. And God tells them this, that thou knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. First part of the letter didn't get them. This ought to be hitting home. Now, I'm not saying this to us. I'm just talking about doors right now. So as it turns out, the door of destiny for the Laodiceans, Laodiceans was their own front door. Some of you can't get to God because you won't come out of your own front door. That's the first door you have to pass through in order to follow God and to do God's will in your life. And so that door was inappropriately locked and it was sealed by what? Religious protocol, ceremony, form. And that the voice of their beloved called unto them from the other side of the door. Does anybody hear my voice? Is there anybody that can hear my voice? And if you will hear my voice and if you will open the door, I will come in. I've been, here long, I've been here a long time, but if you'll just open the door, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. I won't lay any more upon you. Just, if you just hear my voice and if you'll just open the door, I'll, I, will, I will come in to you. You see, it's not really hard, ladies and gentlemen, 
It's not really difficult. You just got to hear the voice of God and then open the door. You see, sometimes we hear the voice of God, but we're not willing to open the door. We stay closed off to God. Your God wants to fill you with the Spirit. We're so closed off emotionally and spiritually. You couldn't get water in that cup, much less the Holy Ghost. So I concur with most, if not all, one God Pentecostals. That is an, it is an incredible thing when the power of God is ushered into the sanctuary, when the power and presence of God is released very quickly and suddenly into the sanctuary when it shows up with thunder, not literal thunder, of course, with fire, not literal fire, of course, and it begins to... It begins to move throughout the congregation. You can just see it pulsating in the sanctuary. It is an awesome thing to behold the waves of glory just sweep. If you've ever been to a general conference, you can, you can see the waves of God's spirit move through a congregation of fifteen or 20,000 people. It is incredible. So we all agree that this is an, an awesome thing when a, a hurricane uh, is sent from heaven into the, a place where people are praying and worshiping and, and, and adoring their Lord and Savior like the rushing mighty wind that filled all the house in Acts chapter 2. They heard a sound from heaven, and here's the rushing mighty wind, and man, everything began to happen and pop and quickly in the power of God. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. But sometimes, and we make this mistake in prayer meetings as well, we think that that. It, it's got to reach a certain decibel level of sound before God. Well, God's really here now because of people. Ah! Sometimes God tiptoes into the sanctuary. Everything's going on. We got our songs all lined up, and musicians are cranking and beating and pounding and plucking the strings, and everything's moving. But he says, I'm going to just tiptoe in, into the sanctuary and see if anybody even knows that I am there. So he's going he's gonna to just put his hand across the hole of the door. Is anybody getting excited yet? Is anybody getting riled up yet? Is anybody getting moved in their spirit and their soul is somebody's bowels yet getting excited about God, his presence in the sanctuary. It's not blowing people over. People are not falling out in the spirit, but I'm there. Everybody don't know it. Everybody's not aware of it, but if it's one or two or three or four or five, that's all right with him. I've always believed that there were Spiritual barometers in every church. We have them here. And you, if you know who they are, you can watch them because you will know the moment that he tiptoes into the service because those people are in tune. He never steps into a room where they are where they don't know it. He can be quiet as a church mouse, as they say. 
because he wants to see who's here for the hoopla and who's here for him. Who's here for the entertainment or who's here for him. And sometimes all we get, say, well, that was a struggle. No, it wasn't a struggle. He's just putting his hand in front of the door. He just wants to know who's gonna, just going to break out and say, oh, God, I'm so glad you're here right now. I need something from you. There are times when the Holy Ghost intentionally does not enter the sanctuary with an army of angels. dun da da dun da da Have we learned anything from the 150th time we have heard the message about Elijah? Have we learned anything? Sometimes when I pray, I'm ready for God to hit me in the head. Just hit me, knock me over, knock me down. God says, I'm not here for that. I just want to sit here with you and I'm just going to just going to be with you while you pray. I'm not going to blow your mind. I'm not going to speak revelation to you. I'm just going to be here. I have to be satisfied with that. And I have to know because if you don't know, you can walk out of the prayer room after an hour or two hours of prayer and feel defeated because you didn't get lightning bolts from heaven. Because the sky didn't open up and, and rain came out of heaven and shake your world all the while, you walk out of the prayer room. Well, I guess it wasn't in there for me today. No, it was. You just didn't know it. I'm, I'm trying to talk to you about some things. Some of you will remember this. Years ago, we, we had a fireworks tent. Remember, we pulled the money and bought the big box? The big box. Ooh, big box. What was it? Two hundred dollars? Was it two hundred bucks? Whatever it was, it was, it was overpriced. We got twenty percent discount because we were selling. And after it closed down, we were tired. The humidity of the day. We worked this fireworks tent for ten straight days. It gets dark, and brother Richard, I think you're the one that put off all the fireworks. I was so disappointed. <laughs> I'm telling you, I didn't tell anybody, but I thought. Are you kidding me? Nothing flew up in the air? It took about 10 minutes for $200 worth of fireworks? And the only thing that happened, Richard got a bunch of exercise running back and forth, lighting the fireworks. So what's the story with Elijah? Well, he he's in trouble, I'll just put it like that. He's running from... Ahab and Jezebel under threat of life, and he, he travels 40 days, and, and God told him, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and so he does, and he's standing there, and the Lord passes by. Now, it's very clear cut, very candid, the Lord passes by, and, and what it says is, and as the Lord is passing by, there's a great and strong wind that rent the mountains and broke in pieces, the rocks. It even says before the Lord. The Lord's passing by. This is happening while God is passing by Elijah. But then it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. Listen to me. I love when people run the aisles, but just because somebody runs the aisle don't mean God is in it. 
There can be a lot of a lot of stuff going on that God is not really in. I want to know what God is into. And so uh, after that, after the wind, there was an earthquake. This must have been in Hawaii with all the volcanoes. An earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. I, I, I love tongues interpretation and prophecy and all that, but I want to know what God is in. That's why he gave us discerning of spirits. He wasn't in the earthquake. He was passing by the whole time. But then after the earthquake, you'd think this would be enough, right? But then there's a fire. But it says the Lord was not in the fire. You see, we're always looking for that Pentecostal wind and that Pentecostal earthquake and that Pentecostal fire. And I'm right along with you. Come on, blast us, blow us away, blow this place apart, blow this service apart. Let us all go home with Pentecostal crew, crew mess up the hair of all our ladies. Come on, mess up our ties and our, and our nice white shirts. I, I'm all for that, but sometimes God's not in that. I believe there is a voice that's beckoning unto us to open a door of destiny. Let me rush to a close. Revelation chapter 3, 7, 8. The angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, saith that he that is holy and he that is true and he that hath the key of David, indicating obviously there's a door. Then he says, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Now, let me clarify something. This, these words uh, are very specific to the Philadelphian church. I'm not reading to this church that the door is open. I'm reading that God opened the door to the Philadelphia church. Okay, everybody understand what I'm saying? But it reveals something that's very, very, very important, and that's to us. It reveals that when God opens the door, he expects you to go through it. You better make sure God is the one that opened that door because I've had the devil open a number of doors for me. You have to be, you have to make sure. So how do you know? You have to have a prayer life. You have to be in the word. And so right now, the door to the kingdom of God is wide open. I'm going to go through this rather quickly, and so I, I hope you can keep up with me because there's people that are right now standing at the door of the kingdom. They haven't come in. Just like Friday morning, there will be people standing outside of stores. And the door will not be open. It will be closed, be locked, and they'll be standing there waiting for them. I could tell on a couple of y'all that talked to me this morning, but I won't. <laughs> All right, they'll be standing there waiting for those doors to open. There's people standing outside of the kingdom of God, outside the door, and they're contemplating going through the door. What's it going to cost me? What kind of changes in my life will I have to make? What will be expected of me as a child of God or as a Christian or as a follower of Jesus Christ? You're contemplating now. Years ago when John was little, we went up to, some of y'all remember, Circuit City. Quarter to five, we pulled in the parking lot. 
In 14 minutes till 5, we pulled out because the line went all the way around the side of the building. We went down the street to what? I don't remember the other store. Same thing. Guess we were home by 10 after 5. And there are people standing there right now outside the doors of the kingdom contemplating coming on in. Now, trust me, you've got to understand this. You can be at the door. You can have your hand on the, on the knob. You can have the door three-quarters of the way open. You're not saved till you come through the door. Even that, Paul said, that uh, the redemption of your body comes later. You've got to live righteous, holy for the Lord. So a lot of people are, are at that door, which explains a lot to me what Jesus meant when he said many are called, but few are. I called them there, but they have not come far enough to actually be among the chosen. And for this reason, many will choose a form of Christianity, a form of Christianity that requires little or nothing of them, no lifestyle change. You can... You can wear what you want, go when you want, watch what you want, say what you want. They'll choose that form of Christianity, but I tell you, that's out in the playground somewhere. It's not inside of the kingdom. So the door of destiny may be open. It is open right now. But whoever says that what lies on the other side is a life of ease and comfort has never been through that door. John 10 and 1, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. The meaning of this verse is multilateral or multifaceted, really, but one of the things that it reveals is that every open door is not from the Lord, number one, nor does every open door lead to the kingdom of God. Furthermore, you can get involved with everything going on in the church and still not go through that door. So Luke 13, 24, strive to enter in at the straight gate. You know what straight means? You know what that means in the Greek? It means narrow. But then it says, it also talks about the narrow way. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive to enter in. Why? Because you have, you have to... You have to want to go through that door. Because he says, I say unto you that uh, many will seek to enter in and will not be able. I say, why won't they be able? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. But and Matthew talks about the straight gate and the narrow way. Well, if straight means narrow, what does narrow mean? If straight is narrow, then Goodness gracious, Lord, help us. What is narrow? Narrow is you're going to have to, you're going to have to work to get through that. I don't mean work to save you. Don't misunderstand me. It is so narrow that most people won't even find the door, number one, and those that go through the door ain't going to be easy. In Genesis, we have an example of a literal door. It's in the ark. Luke 17, 26 says, it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Peter made a comparison to the days of Noah. Hebrews, book of Hebrews makes that same comparison, which gives us license to do so also. But I want to read to you, I want to make this short because uh, I'm running out of time. Uh, when Noah built the ark, Genesis 6 and 16, 
a window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, third stories shalt thou make it. The ark is a type of the church. Noah is a type of Christ. He built the ark. Jesus built the church. And so the ark had one door. The church, the kingdom of God, has one door. One door. Everybody say one. Can you, can you count that up on one hand? That's one door. So Jesus said the way into the kingdom of God is straight and it's narrow. But then he said few there be that find it. Now, I wanted to put that in perspective. And so in order to do that, uh, uh, I want to let you know, in case you don't, that when the flood came on the world, it is estimated there were one to three billion people. Extrapolating the, the time that people lived, how many years they would have been productive, how many children. I mean, you live eight, nine hundred years, you're going to have more than two or three kids. So, it, you know, it's figured out there was one to three billion people. So let's take the, the low number. One billion people on the face of the earth at the time of the flood. And guess what? Out of one billion people, eight people were saved. If I put it another way, uh, the earth is comprised of 196 point million square miles. So let's say right now, okay, you want to go to heaven? Yep, I do. All right, there's a door somewhere in the earth. And you've got to find that door. We're going to give you any clues, but I can tell you where it's at. You've got to find that door. And you've got to go through it. That's why Jesus called the apostles, so they can direct people to the door that leads into the kingdom of God. But once the ark was completed, the door would only be open for a very short period of time. Once the ark is done, here comes the animals. Noah and his family, they're loading up supplies and food and everything else they had to put on the ark. And the uh, Bible says uh, in uh, Genesis 7.13, in the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three eyes of his sons with him into the ark. Then it, the, verse 15, all the animals come. Verse 15, they went in unto Noah into the ark. Two and two of the all flesh were in as the breath of life. Verse 16, and they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God commanded him. And, and the Lord shut him in. Now, I'm not going to go through even if I could, I, I, I wouldn't do it, but I'm not a student of prophecy. I don't spend my, all my waking hours studying the, uh, the book of Revelation or other things, but I can tell you right now, as we sit here in this room, the door is closing. The door is closing. Matthew 25, 10, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Let me tell you something. If God is dealing with you to get in, I wouldn't mess with that. Because if he's dealing with you today, there is no guarantee he's going to deal with you tomorrow. 
your inclination, your desire to go to the house of God today to, to be in a service where you would have the opportunity to be baptized, repent, receive the Holy Ghost. If you think tomorrow you, you just have, will have those same inclinations, you are mistaken. If God has opened the door to you it, to bring you into the kingdom of God, it will only be open for a certain period of time, and then it will close. And when it closes, it will be done. It's closed. And the door is getting ready to close. The five virgins went to buy oil. They come back. The door's closed. Well, let, let us go pray through. We'll just go pray through, and then we'll get in. I hope and pray. Please forgive me, everyone, for what I'm about to say, but I hope and pray Jesus doesn't come during Sunday school because if he does, a lot of us are going to be in trouble because while you're brushing your teeth and fixing your hair and eating a bowl of cereal, we're hearing the word of God and we're worshiping and singing and praying in the sanctuary. Hope and pray he doesn't come during Sunday school. How do I know the door is closing? Romans eleven twenty five. 25. And I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Furthermore, Matthew 24, 32, 33. It says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. Musicians, if you join me and, and you all can stand. When the branch is yet tender... And put it forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. This is very interesting. I know you've heard this a million times, but I don't think you've ever heard this that we're going to present to you over the next moment or so. So likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors, plural. What's it talking about? Doors. What doors is Jesus referring to? Well, number one, there's a dispensational door that will close. There is a door to the nation of Israel or to the Jewish people, and there is yet a third door to the Gentiles. And that door will close when the fullness of the Gentiles has been brought in, when is that going to be? It'll be happening right now for all we know. I don't know. But you must know this important door of destiny is prophetically been declared to be closing even as we speak, at least the door to the Gentiles. There's one more door of destiny that we're going to briefly mention to you before we open this altar. And I think it's one of the most important doors of destiny that we will have access to today. One of the darkest days in Israel's history was when they uh, brought down the walls of Jericho. And uh, when they got beyond conquering Jericho, it was discovered that somebody had taken something from the city of Jericho for themselves. They were commanded, don't take anything, don't pick up nothing. It's God, this is, this is God's. Don't. 
but somebody was tempted to pick up a couple trinkets and a Babylonish garment, where to go. And after they got on the other side of Jericho, it was brought to Joshua's attention. Joshua chapter 7, 24, Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, and his sons, his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them under the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? He's speaking to Achan now and his family. Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones that him his children, his wife, his grandchildren, his animals, stoned them with stones and burned them with fire. And after they had stoned them with stones, laid a heap over them. And that was probably, without debate, the worst moment in Israel's 1,500-year history. And they would carry the shame of that day from generation to generation. And I would go so far as to say that that's one of the reasons that they failed God so oftentimes and fell into idolatry. There was such shame passed from generation to generation because of what they had to do that day. If you fast forward hundreds of years, we come to the book of Hosea, and Hosea's he lived at a time when Israel was in abject moral and spiritual failure. They were a mess, idols, incest. I mean, it was, it was terrible. And God spoke to this man about something that had so disfigured his people that God knew they would have to be healed if they were ever going to get past it. So he says in Hosea 2.13, And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein, the burn, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. But then out of the mouth and from the pen of the prophet came this, Therefore, behold, and my mind goes back to the Song of Solomon. He says, Behold, I will allure her. I will court her. And bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. And I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor, the monument to that day and to defeat and to the sin that brought this upon Achan and his family. I will give the valley of Achor of all places for what? A door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi and shalt call me no more Bali. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day I will make a covenant for them and with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. 
And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Why is this important today? Because I'm going to tell you, somewhere in a yesterday, it could have been when you were a child, could have been years ago, it could have been last week, there's been something happened to you. It may have been a betrayal. Something's been done to you. Maybe it's personal failure, something. And at that particular place in your mind and memory, there has been a memorial built to that experience. And everywhere you go, there's a shadow of that memorial over your life, of that failure or of that betrayal or of that abuse or, or whatever happened to you. But God says, I'm going to take your valley of Acor. I'm going to take the place where that monument has been built to your failure and your defeat. And I'm going to convert it and change it into a door of hope. That every time you think about that, you're going to have hope. Every time you go back in your mind, there's going to be hope. Every time the devil reminds you of that day or of those experiences, it's going to breathe hope and life into you. It's called a door of destiny. A door of hope. And I know some of those monuments have been erected. I know you've repented. You've been baptized. You've received the Holy Ghost. You've went through uh, the waters of baptism. The blood has been applied. You've been forgiven and all of that. But that monument is still there. It still sits there, a reminder of the pain, the hurt, the sorrow. And God wants to take your valley of acre give you a door of hope. So I do not invite you today to bring your praise to the altar. I invite you to bring that defeat, that despair, that bitter memory, the marks, the scars that you carry in your spirit and in your soul. I want you to bring that to the altar. God is going to lift that off of you and he's going to open a door of opportunity where you will maybe for the first time I don't know, you'll be able to walk in the joy and in the peace of almighty God so well, now I can't come because everybody knows I've got a valley of acorn in my life I've got a valley of acorn I have a valley of acorn I'm ready for a door of hope. I need, I need hope today. I need the hope of God today. I need God to open a door that will lead me to a place of relief and safety and restoration and renewal to tear down this monument, to tear down this monument that casts its shadow over me once and for all. Come on, let's come and pray. Let's come and pray. Bring your pain, bring your sorrow. If it was failure, you bring it with you. No excuses today. No excuses.
Come on, let's bring it to God because God wants to lift something off of you. No one else he wants to take you to a, to a new place, to a door this place. that leads to hope and power. Thank you, Jesus. Come and stand behind these. Lord, we want You've never experienced anything no like that. There's no monument in your past. Will you come and at least stand behind these? And help them pray. And help them open this door of hope. Change. 